0: The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to the International Gen Z Conference hosted here by IOM America. We are very pleased to bring this conference to you. Understanding Gen Z is pretty critical if we want to serve, lead, influence, and equip this next generation. The indwelled Christian will become more established and pronounced in their indwelling Christian faith and become acutely aware of their present culture and how it works against the Word of God, the church, as well as the need that needs to be revealed of housing the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. You're about to listen to Session 3 of the International Gen Z Conference. In this session, we're going to be talking about the identity aspect of Generation Z. Fully knowing that identity is an equation that is satisfied by all values of the symbols placed within a given society. Worldview is birthed through identity, and identity is birthed through a dominant leader of a culture, religion, or system of governance. Identity truly is based in self-perceived truth. So the question that we need to ask, and it will be answered in this session, is who is the leader? Statistics reveal that personal achievement whether it's educational or professional, hobbies, pastimes, centered upon what Gen Z is calling their identity. And as for the grandparents and the boomers, well, they're most likely going to say that family and faith in Christ and their church was and still is very central to their identity. These same statistics show us that 96% of Generation Z has detached from such identity ideologies. We hope that you enjoy this session. You're going to see a statistic coming up here in regard to someone who is secular and was Christian who became atheist. The number is doubling every single generation, this new refreshed movement of atheism. Well, what it proves to Bible scholars who love research is this. It proves that atheism is a religion. See, true atheism, as what was just revealed to us, True atheism is denying a supreme God. Originally in the Greek, 500 years before Christ, when atheism was confirmed, it was a group of Greeks reacting to the multiple gods of of Greece because they were somehow not answering their request. That's how the movement started. It was a denial of multiple gods. Paul went after this group. It moved into the Roman culture as well. And Paul went specifically after that group. Guess what? He found. They were angry toward the gods, but not angry toward the God. They believed in a singularity of God, They did not believe in multiple gods. That was the original definition of atheism. And they, Paul had conversions by the droves from this group. So looking at Christian atheism today is a little bizarre for a lot of people. It is not for me. I understand what they're saying. They are great candidates for true, indwelt, born-again experiences. They're begging for a supreme God to show himself. They're begging. It's the pluralists that are hard to reach. That Buddha and the Satanists at your local satanic coven are brothers. You go that pathway, I'll do this one. See at the top of the hill. That's the dangerous group. Atheists are not like that at all. Very key piece to understand. So since Gen Z is the first generation to be born into a culture that shifted the modalities of absolute truth to relative truth, which has to happen before pluralism is born, in addition to their parents' millennials completely detaching from traditional church traditional church is the body of Christ I don't care what your church calls it it doesn't matter to me I know what the church is from the authentic writings in the scriptures it's the people the bride of Jesus Christ that's the church we are the church burn the buildings burn our Bibles but you can't touch a true into believer. They're immovable because they know the one of absoluteness, the singularity of the only God. That's what makes them immovable. Could you handle being crucified upside down before you confess that Jesus is a sissy? is a pluralistic, people-pleasing, gender-friendly, animal rights god? Promoting and pushing upon children to save a dog and kill your sister? The sickness that is in the world today is a result of two things. Atheism or pluralism. Both accomplish the same mission. Poor Gen Z. I really do feel for them. They're like the bucket at the end of the of the crap that's been rolled down through the generations of stupid discussions people have had that have never gotten us anywhere. There's no more success in the world. In fact, there's more deterioration of all these opinionated people running around saying whether they believe baptism is salvation or saying whether they believe that Blah, 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 blah. My church says, my book says, my teacher says. Blah, 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 blah. When all you got to do is look at the person say, and what does God say? Well, how are we going to know what God says? The Holy Bible. But what about if the translation? Well, honestly, I don't read Bibles before or after 1999. I don't. I know what they did with it. When they opened the door to pluralize the word, they lost me. So I have Bibles from 1999 and before. No animal-friendly Bibles coming out in 2020. It's going to replace the new gender-friendly NIV, which will include animal rights, women's rights, homosexual rights. I've seen pieces of it. I actually serve on a committee, a review committee. It's pretty scary what's coming. Well, I say don't read them. Because there is worldview perspectives affecting church theology today. Here's a statistic about Moral truth. Is moral truth absolute or relative? Well, here you have 30% say absolutely. At least 65% saying absolutely not. You have relative, 44% saying absolutely relative. And you have 21% going, what did you say? They're not even thinking about morality anymore. If it's a sin, if it's right, if it's wrong, if it's morally indecent. If it, they're not even thinking about it. So I throw them in the other category with the relatives. They probably are their relatives. Because the truth is, if you're not absolute, you're not going to have an absolute worldview. So human interaction effect is the idea of we grow like and be like people around us. Duh. When we socialize regularly with believers who practice, exemplify the life of Christ, we're more likely to do likewise. Human beings emulate the behaviors of the company they keep. Sharing faith with like-minded, born-again believers fosters faithfulness in and through Christ Jesus. So one of the questions I ask theologians, and I ask researchers who are a little more advanced than I am, I ask them kind of ridiculous questions and oftentimes get a very intelligent answer back, and that is, why has there been such an attack on church attendance? Now I have my ideas. I know why is this a global, worldwide cancer? It's not just in your town. I get the statistics that only 4% of the people in this community could handle my preaching. I get that. But see, the reality is, it's a global problem. It's a huge problem in the world today. And one of those great intelligent communicators sends me this. Let us hold fast that, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, Stephen. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as as you see the day drawing near. that Whenever you see in the word of God the day, the day of judgment, the day, the day, the day. There is a final day coming. It's called the day. Not just the day of judgment, but the day. When we will see face to face, whether you're unsaved or saved, it makes no difference everyone is going to be forced with one final worldview question. And here's what it is. I'll just put my own name in here. Stephen, were you one without wavering? I want to stand before that day And say, filled with failures. But my passion for the life of Christ was unwavering. And to say it with confidence. But see, something's going to happen at that moment. It's all going to funnel down to, I believe, a question. I don't know what the question is because I'm not God. And whatever his response will be, according to the word of God, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One of the most popular verses in the Bible. And most have no clue what that verse means. All the pluralism, all your worldview conferences, all of your worldview centers, all of your, all this stuff, Steve, that you're working on is awesome if it's used as a vessel to bring every human being, past, present, and future, to this moment of saying the right worldview. Or else we will be forced to our knees in our own hatred and to say it, including Satan. We'll have to say it. Now guys, if that doesn't mess with your worldview, call the Bible a bunch of stories. You better be sure. Because the day is coming. Well, after this intelligent man sent me this as a nice healthy response, I'm like, wow, I think I'll move on now. The scriptures are filled with answers. All the answers we need. This whole thing about where in the world are people getting their news, you know, truth news. Now there's this new thing called fake news. So it, the reactionary effect of fake news is it's causing a generation to go, well, who do you trust? See what I mean? And then all of the problems with pastors and churches and blah, blah, blah. Well, who do you trust? I've never met a pastor I can trust, including myself. I don't trust humans. They turn on you so fast. I always check for knives at the door. I can see someone holding a knife in their eyes, either through refuse to have eye contact I start watching their hands, spiritually. People are frail, and they can turn on each other easily and quickly. That's why there's so many divorces, church breakups, whatever. I look to Christ in you. If you don't have Christ in you, I will not trust you. I only trust Christ in you. And that kind of relationship is what I call a truth friend. And I have a small handful of those. People are frail. They're weak. They fall. They hurt. But if they have Christ in them, we can lift one another up in the Lord. It's great encouragement. Okay, I want to show you a uh, statistic here. It's called Worldview Implosion. It's a very quick synopsis of what's happened to us. You've got the the elder generation out there, the oldest ring. You've got the Generation X there, and then you have this, this pulsating ring between Generation X and the millennials. Something happened there. In fact, there's a small group of researchers actively trying to figure out the cultural issues that were going on between the X and the millennials because something broke down between these two generations. And it's created an implosion on two generations. So you have the millennials here who are the parents of the Zers and when you try to confront a millennial They're cold as ice. First thing you watch for is a detachment of eye contact. As soon as that goes, body language starts to show up. As soon as body language starts to show up, bye-bye. Have a great day. They lie to you through kindness and their love, and they destroy you through revenge. It's called gossip. Something happened here, and the millennials became their own parents. Now, everyone that I work with, anyway, has got their own insight on on the ring. But there's a list of symptoms that have been put together, which I find extremely interesting. Let's take a look at those. Maybe. Maybe here's this ring of crisis these are the items that got listed we have chaotic ethics now I went and got the Greek definitions of these so chaotic ethics is unrighteous beliefs and behavior lack of conscience plotting depravity of double minded man spoiled child man mindset that's certainly there wanting more and more lack of discernment of evil, people of chaos is what the Greek says, motivated by jealousy, thoughts of harm, argumentative, deceitful, questions character or questionable character, gossip, atheism, insolent, arrogant, boastful, defiant, disobedient to parents, without a biblical worldview, untrustworthy, unloving, And unmerciful. Those are the words we are finding in Gen Z, and many of those were found in the millennials as well. It's imploding on both generations. Not one, but both generations are imploding, and it's creating creating an apathy in the church. It's not creating a challenge. It's creating apathy. This is such a huge problem. It's creating apathy. That's what Americans do when they are faced with a crisis that is global. We turn into apathetic Americans. We do nothing. Not this boy. And the small few Who were responding saying, let's get her done. One plus one equals two until we get to some multiplying numbers. We're actually going back to the original methodology disciples used to multiply the first church. That's how bad it is. These new methods of cameras and you know, networks and this and that are great and whatever, but they don't work anymore. We need to go back to good old-fashioned discipleship. So the generational ethics conclusion. It's in the past two decades, race, ethnicity, nationality, religion, gender, sexuality, and their collective identities. Every one of those have an Identity have gained a great deal of attention. They clamor for recognition and and respect, largely at the expense of absolute truth. The populist mainstreaming relative identities not only constrain our freedom, we think it's giving us our freedom to be opinionated, but it deludes our ability to discover absolute truth. If your opinion is not the opinion of Jesus Christ, you're deluding me. That's as blunt as I can say it. 602-292-2982. If your opinion, your questions, your ideology, your methods, anything, if it's not Christ's perspective, worldview, life, then you're deluding me. You can share principles of Christ and delude me. But if you are actually sharing the worldview of Christ, you will encourage me and build me up as a fellow believer. These are the simple things that are in the authentic gospel that seem to be gone. I want to show you something here. of how this works. This Gen Z embrace of pragmatism, we've kind of already talked about the realistic aspects of pragmatism, but there's something very unique about the consequences of a pragmatic society. I'm telling you this is not from bible researchers. It's from Hollywood. Yes, I gather research on Hollywood. I'm not afraid to write reviews to producers, and actors. Here's what's happened. The main consequence of pragmatism is this. A system of beliefs or religious practice based on supposed communication with spirits of the dead. Especially mediums and demonics. You go look it up. The number one thing that produces box office money is what you're looking at. The only reason why Christian films is taking a buzz right now is because spirituality works. In the long run, that's all everyone wants is spirituality, not psychology or sociology. Now the next thing just kind of threw me off, but only for a moment. Gen Z's exposure to the supernatural themes and experiences. 84% of Gen Zers have either gone through the movie series or read the books. Now, back in my earlier research days, Jane and I went on a major campaign with The Wrinkle in Time. The movie just came out. But we went on a major campaign nationwide on Christians adopting the wrinkle in time as an appropriate reading literature in Christian schools, proving the author was a certified witch, with an active mission to lead children into spiritualism. Now, that was a lot of years ago. We had to have bodyguards for quite a few months because of the threats we had to deal with by exposing the spiritualism that Christians about in education now we had Harry Potter that's kind of in the past there's a new one coming out here it's going to affect your Christian children that's okay they're already prepared for it because they love demonics no they're not going to react to it that's how you do a slow fade. So here's Harry Potter, okay, and you got 84%, you know, self-proclaiming. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. 73% have been actively involved in witchcraft. Of course they are. Why in the world would you want to watch a bunch of witches and warlocks running around proclaiming love and kindness to people? That always works. And... Not expect that it's going to lead that child to witchcraft, sorcery. I would say the marketers did a rotten job if it didn't. Everything has an objective. Everything has an objective. 21% of these kids decided to go to their church for a little insight on their spiritual or the supernatural. 4% 4% actually went to the church leadership said I got a problem here I'm addicted to demonics Now here's something that was written 2000 years ago 2000 years ago this teacher says no but I say That the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons, not to God. I do not want you to become sharers of demons. I don't care what your opinion is of this scripture. This is the truth. And it's relevant today with your children and grandchildren. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Now, I'm not a demon behind every bush, even though they're there. I'm just telling you the truth. There's another world out there. And most of you don't seem to care because it's too much for you. So it's head in the sand, but watch out who's going to come up and kick you. It's a bad place to be, is to ignore the facts. Warned 2,000 years ago. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we not stronger than he? Are we? No. There is a worldwide global blending of demonics. It's now a science word for Pete's sake. If you want to get someone to accept something, get it into the world of science as everyone believes science. Demonics is a secular term to describe invitation to spiritualism. That's it. Pragmatism is moves into spiritualism and i want to show you one more little trick of the trade here the term demonics is postmodern depiction and method used in the entertainment industry to seduce viewers into the supernatural world Gen Z commonly accepts this modality of entertainment. I had the privilege of being on a television show with the gentleman who put Star Wars together to debate this issue. Without hesitation, openly confessed, what do you think it was for? He had spiritualists, on the set at all times. There was another key movie that came out that a lot of us Christians bought into. And it was this whole idea of the computer world and one reality versus the real reality. Reality. And I wasn't able to gain access to any directors or producers, but I was able to gain access to some truth behind the scenes. And they too had a spiritualist on set every time they clicked that bar to spiritually guide and direct the movie. We had a president's wife who was in touch with sorcery, who is getting direct feedback from a spiritual force, and then advising the president of the United States. Don't think this stuff happens? Get your head out of the sand. It's real. I just decide to step across the line and find out, and I find out that most of them are honest demonics makes money and if you can get them into the spirit world they'll lose complete sight of absolute truth it is something we have to be very careful about
1: dude hey what's up what you reading the
2: bible you're reading the bible yeah dude why are you reading the bible for class no i just okay so you're just reading the bible you're just sitting here in a coffee shop in the 21st century using state-of-the-art technology to read ancient myths for no reason whatsoever well tell me something are you one of those super religious people who thinks jesus actually rose from the dead well i do believe that you also believe in the easter bunny santa claus unicorns bigfoot Ever been abducted by aliens? And do you buy into all those other ancient myths about dying and rising gods invented by primitive nomadic tribes back in the Bronze Age? No. Okay, so what's the difference between Jesus rising from the dead and all those other fairy tales?
1: Here's the difference. My belief in the resurrection of Jesus is rational. It's based on historical facts. (laughs) Facts? What facts? Well, first, Jesus died by crucifixion.
2: Whoa, hold on. We don't even know if Jesus existed. Why should I believe your facts?
1: Well, because the five facts I'm going to give you are backed by so much historical evidence that most professional, critical scholars who study the subject accept them as true. That includes skeptical atheist scholars.
2: Okay, so Jesus was a guy who actually existed and then got
1: himself killed. So what? That's the first fact. Second, his disciples were convinced that he rose from the dead and appeared to them. Third, Paul, a sworn enemy of the early Christians, suddenly became a Christian. Fourth, Jesus' skeptical brother James also became a Christian. And fifth, the tomb where they put Jesus' body was empty.
2: And those are well-established
1: historical facts. Right, but you can't just leave it there. These facts demand an explanation. Otherwise, you've got a big hole in human history. Okay, here's an explanation.
2: They all lied. It was a conspiracy, the most monumental prank ever perpetrated. His
1: followers stole his corpse from the tomb and then started telling everybody he was alive. That's the conspiracy theory. The problem is it doesn't explain the facts. How do a few spineless fishermen, cringing in fear for their lives, subdue a bunch of well-armed, professional Roman guards, roll away a two-ton stone, steal a body, then hide it from a city swarming with people trying to find it? And why would they do it? The disciples had absolutely nothing to gain by lying about Jesus' resurrection. In fact, they were persecuted, and we have good historical evidence that five of them were martyred because of their claim that Jesus rose from the dead. Apparently, not a single one of them ever recanted. People don't willingly die for something they know isn't true. They were there. They knew whether it was true or not.
2: All right, another theory. The disciples thought they saw Jesus alive after he died, but it was just wishful thinking. They were stressed and just kind of hallucinated.
1: The hallucination theory also lacks explanatory power. 500 witnesses saw Jesus at the same time, and the disciples touched him. Psychologists have shown that hallucinations don't work like that, nor does this explain the empty tomb. Okay, look, maybe there's some other
2: explanation, but the bottom line is dead people stay dead. Rising from the dead would be a supernatural event, a miracle, and science has proven that miracles don't happen. Oh, really?
1: When did that happen? I don't know. I just kind of heard it somewhere. Science has not disproven miracles. In fact, that would be impossible. Why? Science deals exclusively with natural phenomena, physical matter and material processes, right? Uh, yeah. But a miracle, by definition, is not a natural phenomenon. It's supernatural. So? So a supernatural event would lie outside the boundaries of science. It's logically impossible for science to throw out any hypothesis that lies outside its boundaries. Why have I never heard this stuff before? I don't know. Maybe because it's scary? Scary? Yeah. As long as Jesus rising from the dead is just a fairy tale, like Santa Claus and unicorns, it doesn't threaten my little world. But if it's a fact, if he actually did rise from the dead, that's huge. It's a total game changer. And that's why it's so hard to think about it objectively. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Big whoa.
0: Thank you for listening to session three Please remember to listen to Session 4. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.